This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Good Things. I'm Dashran Johan. Mohamed Al-Shatri is a human rights activist. He worked with Swaram for six years, where he focused on issues such as police misconduct, death in police custody, and other human rights violations. Mutt, as he likes to go by, is also a documentary filmmaker. His documentary, Perhimpunan Haram will be screened at an event at Gerak Budaya called Process Sebuah Protest, happening tomorrow at 2pm. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Darshan. Let's start from the beginning, Matt. What ignited the flame of activism within you? When did your journey in activism begin? So I think for me, um, it started with student activism movement back then. I think it's 2009, 2000-2011. Uh, There's a student movement that was um, held by a lot of students at that time. Um, so it's the movement basis is to uh, abolish the Aoku. Um, so by around that, this, this uh, flame of um, activism movement by the students well, I think the climax was during uh, Adam Adli take down the flag of uh, the Najib's face in PWTC, right? Right. Uh, but just uh, as as a, as a note there, I think this movement also uh, been fueled by other kind of um, other people's activism as well. One of them, uh, Fami Reza's, he went on on a on a um, uh, a tour, a student uh, power tour that. Uh, death into the student activism during the 1950s and 1960s, 1960s and 1970s. And that this also uh, give me and a lot of other student activisms a lot of ins- inspirations to be part of the uh, activism movement in Malaysia. Other than that, I was part of the Buku Jalanan movement. It's a resumetic um, street library movement throughout the country. So after being introduced by it by Zikri Rahman, the founder of the movement, uh, I went on to study in Kuching. So we, in Kuching, we founded um, um, a collective called Teori Timo, where we also organized buku jalanan and other forms of um, activities, including um, social, cultural activities, um, events, and also trainings for students and youth around Kuching, Sarawak at that time. And after that, I came back to KL. I was involved with Club Bangsa Utama. Um, Club Bangsa Utama is also one of the group that uh, actively involved in political scenes in Malaysia, not the 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 mainstream politics, but more much more on the uh, grassroots levels, uh, organizing protests, and we also do a lot of other activities such as uh, club film. We do discussions. Club uh, Bangsa Utama. We do. Uh, Dapur Jalanan, giving foods uh, and also work on um, issues around the urban poverty as well. So all these actually um, things that ignite or like how I started off uh, in activism so far. So you talk about, you know, becoming a student activist, um, being inspired by Adam Adli. You talk about, um, you know, even doing, um, you know, Buku Jalanan and all of it. I'm wondering what, 
inspired you? Because there are many people who go to university, um, mm. they, are in, they are students and, and so on and so forth, but they don't decide to become a student activist. Was there anything going on either in your life or in the country that made you go, okay, I need to get involved. I need to um, start getting involved in human rights. I need to start getting involved in, you know, doing things like Buku Jalanan and, and all the rest of it. I think it would it comes down to my first experience in a big protest which is Bersi 2 I think during mm. that time and during that time I saw a lot of um, in Bersi 2 there's a lot of uh, restrictions being put on the protest and there's also a lot of uh, police repressions right and I'm, I'm also one of the persons that been tear gas and uh, during that time and I think that kind of pivotal movement in 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 my early uh, life where I think that oh there's a lot to be done uh, within the democratization of Malaysia so I think uh, at that point of time that really get me into involvement in in, in wanting to be a part of the movement what were you doing before Bursi 2 and how important was the Bursi movement in your political awakening? Because, it, it, you know, I think I was born in the 90s. I'm assuming you're born right. around the same time. Yeah. Bursi was such a huge, monumental um, sort of movement in Malaysia that really, um, you know, exposed me to, a, to the realm of politics in, in a really, um, you know, in a, in a way that really changed my life. Um, how important was Bursi to you? It's much more important for like like you said, right? It's for our generation, people mm. who are born in the nineties, because there's all also have like there's a big movement of political movement or protest back then, which we are we are not involved in like the movement of anti-ISA, um, reformasi and so on. But why Bersi is much more pivotal because it's it during uh, it happens during our time. We are we are, we are there. We 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 observe it, and it's one of the. Um, movement where we are able to participate in right um but before that as well i was i i always seen uh means i i come from Kelantan, uh so a political discourse already been happening there because back then past is also part of the oppositions right so there's a lot of their leaders been detained under the isa and so on so i always been observing all this political movement and my family especially my dad was also quite politicized so during that time i'm observed i'm 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 have a role of observing, but for Bursay itself, I think it's it's much more impactful because I be able to be there physically and involved in Bursay. Uh, and because of the issues that they bring, it's not only around elections issues, they also uh, brings issues of uh, good governance, anti-corruptions and things that are happening during that time, like Najib Raza scorpion cases and all of other cases of corruptions. Because of that combinations of um, the the events, the issues that um, surrounding that events, um, and also I would say it is a, an epoch moment lah uh, for a lot of people in my generation. You mentioned your family. Um, talk to me about your family and your childhood. Um, was your family very political? Um, did your did you grow up? Um, in a surrounding where your family would talk about things like social justice and politics um, at the dinner table? Uh, my dad sure did and still is, uh, still am, I uh, would say. Uh, he's uh, an active member of PAS during that time. Like I said, PAS is a member of the oppositions and back then they uh, pioneered a lot of or like 
participated or their members are involved in a lot of social movement back then, especially during that back then when in reformasi, the movement against the Internal Security Act. So I was always aware of these issues, not particularly like being really, um, I would say, really talk about it, but um, being in that environment itself, um, make me aware of the situations that were happening in our political arena during that time. And also, like I said, uh, have my early schooling in Kelantan as well. We always had like some some kind of protest in the school as well. So it's quite uh, familiarized. I was quite familiarized with uh, the culture of protest as well. As well, like when whenever there's um, a pro- uh, an, uh, crisis in Palestine, let's say, or something happens around that issues, we always have like uh, a pro- some form of protest uh, at the school itself. Yeah. So you were with Swaram for I think six, seven years. How did you end up in Swaram and, and why did you decide to join Swaram? So um, after my degree, after I graduated, I did uh, an internship with the Party Socialist Malaysia. So during that internship, I learned a lot about grassroots level movement building and also activisms uh, throughout my 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 internships. I was placed in under Dr. Kuma in Sungai Siput. During that time, I was so I observed a lot of grassroots level issues, right? So because of this uh, and guidance by a lot of my supervisors and people in PSM as well, I decided after that. After that, I worked as a translator for a bit, but uh, they had an opening for uh, coordinator assistance for the Gerakan Hapus Akta Hasutan, the Abolish Sedition Act movement. So right. then was why I decided that I think this is very things that uh, I'm really passionate about and things that I was always wanted to involve in. And when my friend wanted to rope me in, in that movement, I said, okay. Uh, and after that, a few months later, because they also have vacancies for the right to justice coordinators, then also, uh, and after that, I was being hired as the right to justice coordinator. What did you learn and experience during your time in Swaram? I think one of the most important thing is because previously I did have an exposure around human rights abuses issues and grassroots level issues, right? But in Swaram, I think I've been faced by the real life of handling those cases, right? Yes, um, what I mean is by face those cases and those issues, are, uh, I would say is faces the reality of people who are really uh, affected by those issues mainly the victims and the family members of human rights abuses. And other than that, um, I learned a lot about laws surrounding these issues that I worked on, such as the um, around uh, your, your rights with police power, the criminal procedure code, the procedure around death in custody, how should be handled, the coroner's um, uh, responsibility, the procedures around um, inquest and so on. And also, other than that, I learned also around the other forms to readdress these cases, mainly the National Human Rights Count, uh, Commission, SOHACAMS, the national uh, form of readdress, and also international, like the UN mechanisms. You know, earlier you mentioned 
two things which I found very interesting. And you grew up in a family where your dad was a past member. And, you know, past back then was very much different from what past is today. Right. Um, and you also interned at PSM, Party Socialist Malaysia. Mm. Now, both of these parties are, of course, very um, di- different. But at the same time, they have some similarities. And their similarities is um, when we look across the political parties in Malaysia, um, both PAS and PSM are very strong and rooted in in a particular ideological framework. And they are also parties that focus or emphasize a lot on grassroots um, building, um, Mm. grassroots organizing, grassroots uh, mobilizing. I'm wondering, what did you learn from your dad um, and also from PSM in that sense? And how do you negotiate, um, you know, these various lessons that you learned, right? Because it is, at the end of the day, two parties with very different um, ideologies um, as well. Yeah, I think, like you said, like you mentioned, like past previously, the administrations are very different from the current, uh, the current one and their views or ideologies. Also, I would say... Uh, much more less uh, focus on race and religion issue back then, but much more on social justice. So right. I think PSM and PAS back then have that dissimilarity of working on social justice issues. How I negotiate between that, um, like I said, PAS back then, um, they, uh, the issues that they bring forward are not much more uh, too different from uh, from what uh, PSM, but of course, PSM is a socialist party. They've focus much more on workers' issues and uh, other form of social justice, right? But at the same time, PAS also during that time advocate for a lot of um, social and economical rights as well for a lot of people in Kelantan because as a state that uh, have been under the oppositions for the longest time, they've also experienced a lot of discrimination from the federal government. So being the, ex- uh, the, the at the receiving end of these discriminations, uh, also, I think a lot of past leadership that time uh, adopt a lot of views around uh, social justice as in a human rights kind of uh, views in a way, but uh, with uh, combining it and also getting inspiration from a lot of uh, Islamic uh, philosophical, philosophical thoughts as well. So I think during that time, there's not much uh, compromises that I need to make to be able to grasp this idea of social justice. But uh, now I, I know that a lot of people uh, or like the new generations might have like a bit of um, confused, confusing uh, uh, moment there, right? When when associating past with social justice and human rights. But for me, um, living in that period of time and also um, I was quite familiar when during time was much more progressive and idea oriented rather than now. So I think, um, and my dad was part, uh, like my family is much more affiliated with those groups who are more, much more progressive in past during that time. So um, like I said, compromising between that ideological differences is not much uh, a difficulty for me. Yeah. On the show with me today is Mohamed Al-Shatri, human rights activist. We will continue our discussion after the break. Keep it here on Good Things, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Mohamed Al-Shatri. He's a human rights activist. So, Matt, do you remember your first encounter with law enforcement as an activist? Mm. And what was going through your mind at the time? 
so it's quite funny because uh, I was um, during that time I studied for my foundations in UITM. So having to know that the most quite most conservative university in Malaysia during that time, but during the student movement, um, some of the activists penetrated the university and and held a. Uh, speakers corner uh, in unit, unit, uh, UITM Shah Alam during that time, and I was not even a uh, organizer. I was participating. I was held or like I was uh, brought by the auxiliary police and bring to the auxiliary police stations and was questions um, during that time. I was like quite nervous. Uh, I can say like because during that time as well, I. I was new in in the scene, in the movement, and a lot of things that going through my mind. Am I going to be expelled from the universities or whatnot? Things like that. Yeah. So, but I would say that it's quite nervous and it's quite normal for me too. I think. Um, you know, as an activist, right? You go through various challenges, um, and throughout your time um, doing activism, you would face a lot of defeats, a lot of um, pressure from the state. Um, sometimes you don't get enough um, support from the masses, perhaps, things like that. In those moments, what keeps you going? What gives you hope? I would say you need to look at all those small small wins as well, small victories as well. Uh, that, like, Whenever I, like, I, like you said, if you look at it, uh, in a broad picture, of course, the 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 fight for police accountability or police uh, uh, police uh, accountability in Malaysia is very slow moving process, right? But to look at it in small victories, I think that's one of the things that uh, keeps me, I think, moving. Like let's say um, working on cases, then you'll be able to get persons out of police custody, or like if there is a uh, uh, death in custody cases, you'll be able to get uh, uh, inquest procedure for that particular particular cases, or if there is any small small victories, uh, which be able uh, or like give you the motivations to go on as well. But um, yeah, I think that's 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 uh, things that keep me going. I think uh, all these small case uh, small victories that uh, come with the. Uh, with the work that you're doing. So you mentioned police accountability. That's something that you're very passionate about. It's something that you have worked very hard on for many years. Talk to me about your experiences pushing for police reform, your accomplishments, and perhaps um, the gaps that still need to be filled today. Um, working on police accountability issues, I think the, the biggest challenges that I face would be a difficulty in the process of re, to readdress these cases. Like I said, of course, you can get small victories, but the process to get from point A to to get a justice for a family, for example, is a long and rigorous process. You need to go through a lot of process uh, from launching a police report, get the file, uh, documenting that cases, get a a lawyer to help you out with the cases and after a lot of years um, of that process then later you can get form of uh, justice for the family or the victims itself but in firm in in terms of police reform or in general reform for the police uh, for the police itself um, I think some of the things challenges that I face is around um, the general um, apathy from the systems toward uh, the um, abuse of power, 
and around the reform itself because the, our police uh, the police institution is really well established institutions right so any efforts to make changes to way things that already been done is very difficult so uh, for that that journey would be slow uh, and and you would sometimes think that you might have pro- progress and then you regress again i would give you one example right um so like i said the fight for police accountability have been done for the longest time mm-hmm. activists before me have fight for it tirelessly and in 2004 a uh, royal commission was established to improve the administration of the pdrm mm. and in 2005 they produced a report called the zaidin report which uh, lays down a lot of uh, reforms and also ways to improve our uh, our policing system and some of it are increasing the re- remuneration of the police increasing or like improving their facilities and the ways uh, their investigations um, happens and one of it are also in that report is the establishment of the independent police commissions which is called the IPCMC but that it was never been tabled uh, until 2009 where, where the during I think the during that time of Spatlah administrations, they tabled the right. EIC, which not also not a form of IPCMC, but a form of EIC called the Investigation uh, Enforcement Agency Integrity Department, which not only dealt with the police, but also other other uh, enforcement agencies. Uh, but it always been criticized for not having uh, the power to investigate the police and actually um, getting their recommendations to be taken up, for example, by the AG or in, in the form of a disciplinary actions to the police itself, right? But after the uh, the CSUs keep pushing it and the and because the IPCMC been put under the Pakatan Harapan uh, manifestos, after they won in 2018, they try, there's an effort to put um, the bill forward by the late VKLU, uh, the Minister of Law during that time. Uh, but after... That that bill it was an okay bill after there's a lot of process of um, being relooked uh, by a lot of committee, uh, including the parliamentary select committee and also the civil society member. It was an okay bill where right. uh, the police have some uh, the commission have some form of investigation power, uh, be able to visit uh, to police station unannounced and be able to have some of disciplinary uh, power as well. But um, I think after the second tabling of that bill in parliament, it was delayed again to be taken back to the uh, Jawatan Kuasa of the committee. But after that, we know that Sheraton move happened, the PN government come to power and they scrapped the 2019 bill and come with the 2020 bill, which we saw a lot of uh, much a lot of power that had been vested in the 2019 bill have been taken out of the uh, in the 2020 bill and but despite all the oppositions by various groups including the CSOs the the bill uh, was brought to be passed in 2021 so with the current IPCC bill which have less power than the EIC bill back during that times the CSO still moving forward saying that uh, even though this bill uh, has been uh, like the commissions has been deemed at the toothless tiger we still Moving forward, uh, making recommendations, asking the commissions to give us some time to discuss with them, and we keep pushing them to come up with ways that they can still work on their mandate with the with the um, bills that restrict or like give 
them a lot of restrictions on in taking up their responsibility to uh, improve the, the the Malaysian policing, I would say. Um, Matt, now you are also a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker. You're continuing your, your journey to push for human rights uh, and social justice through filmmaking. Why did you decide to become a, a filmmaker? I didn't actually decide to become a filmmaker, but throughout my campaign, things that I worked on in Suwaram, let's say, uh, I've dealt with a lot of cases uh, of abuse of power. So some of those cases are really gruesome that sometimes reading about it or even listening about it couldn't uh, give that the, the the whole picture of the 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 horror of those what those victims went through right so um, thinking about that I with the help of my friend and also people uh, organizations like the freedom film network um, we try to make an animations called the chili powder antenna to depict the gruesomeness of the torture uh, within uh, that been endured by uh, victims of police torture. So after after that, I see that um, we aired the the animations and the pe- pe- people or the public were able to capture the uh, the, the 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 pictures uh, that what actually been happening within um, the police stations and what form of torture that been endured by peoples uh, that were in police detentions and it helped actually the the campaign to push for a greater police accountability in Malaysia. So I see that a lot of this, um, because of this, it's inspired me to to use a storytelling mechanism or method such as film to enhance my uh, campaigning or the work that I've been doing in Suaram. What do you think is the power of documentary filmmaking and storytelling? I think it gives the voices to the victim itself rather than, uh, like I said, reading and hearing about it through the mouth of, uh, or like through the channel of like CISOs or people who bringing these cases on behalf of them, giving that their voices back to them. And I, I like I said, it gives a clear pic- picture, a visual picture where people can imagine uh, what it's like to uh, to endure that kind of uh, things, right? So I think being able to, to connect with the reality itself um, and also to the victims, which is the uh, uh, not through any 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 forms of um, let's say intermediary like uh, any groups, any any other persons, being able to uh, directly experience that or view the experience of the victim itself. I think that's powerful. So you have a documentary called Perhimpunan Haram. Correct. Um, what is this documentary about? So I think this documentary uh, a bit different from uh, things that I've done before, like Chili Powder and Peluang Kedua. Uh, this is, I think, it, it because my experience seeing my experience in organizing and uh, participating in protests and whatnot. I think that's I think that's very. For me, is really need. There's a need to discuss these issues of um, uh, public assembly in Malaysia and in the form of the rights to assemble or right to um, exp- uh, right for expressions. So this documentary actually delves into the issues around laws governing our public protest, public assembly act in Malaysia, and how the police uh, use their power to police. Um, 
um, these protests and the perspective of organizers and people who are around uh, organizing these protests, what have the experience in uh, dealing with the laws and as well the 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 enforcement part of the of the laws. What is the importance of protests? Because you've been part of quite a number. Mm-hmm. I think the most important part of protest is actually is the keystone or cornerstone of each a healthy democracy. So in any uh, good democracy or healthy democracy, the people or the, the rakyat are given the chances rather than just voting every five years, there's other avenues that they can voice um, their, 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 to, to voice out what they want to say, right? So this are one of the main avenues other than other form of avenues. I think protest is form of avenues where people doesn't have any form other other kind of power, but they are they have a power in form of numbers, right? So using this, I think, is one of the key um, importance of healthy democracy and uh, for for to be to transfer some of that power only not only being uh, able to be exercised within the, the the power structure but being able to ex- being exercised by normal people citizens uh, like us as well what are what is one of the most memorable protests you've been part of and why i think the lawan protest is much more is most memorable for me because mm. one is because I'm part of the organizing committee and second because it's quite an uncharted waters world for a lot of um, uh, protest organizers organizing in Malaysia because it was held during the pandemic so that a lot of things that never been tried before uh, will be able to experiment during during that protest where during the COVID we need to restrict um, uh the, the the distance between participants and how do we want to make sure there's uh, COVID uh, uh, there's no COVID uh, spreading between the participants and I think we are also dealing with new ways of communicating as well hmm. um, because a lot of the communications were been done online because during that pandemic and we be able to connect with a lot of new generations as well so we have the combinations of new tactics new people uh, joining the protest and also the fear the the nervousness and uh it's all there for me yeah so i can really i mean it, it was really something that quite monumental in my life now the lawan protest was so interesting so important and inspiring as well because it felt like the reinvigoration of um, you know, progressive movements yet led by young people in Malaysia, something we hadn't seen, um, obviously, since the, the birthday days. Um, and, you know, when the Lawan protest happened, you even had, um, you know, I remember certain tweets by certain Otais from birthday veterans from birthday who were like, you know, it's time to pass the baton. You know, um, we can rest now finally a little bit because these young people have come and, and they are taking things forward. How do you reflect on the Lawan protest today, Ben? Um, what has happened since the Lawan protest? Uh, the Lawan protest, even though it's quite monumental or it's quite uh, pivotal in, the, in that period of time because it happened during the pandemic, but also it, it, uh, it I think because one of it, it's only revolved around people who are in urban areas. Uh, youth are 
really well versed in um, social media, things like that, with discussions of social justice in general in Malaysia. So because of that, I think um, like we see throughout the years that been, what been happening in Malaysia, there's also a rise of conservatisms in Malaysia because that movement, I don't think that it'll be able to penetrate far um, beyond the, the bubble of uh, urban urban kind of um, crowd, right? Uh, to to um, to make it simple, I think one of it um, is also because there's a generational gap between those who are organizing the birthday um, from uh, ISA from Reformasi ISA birthday, um, and until what happening right now, there's also a gap there of a generational gap. So I think um, there's we need to be able to to be able to to bring this momentum forward, there's need to be a collective uh, imaginations around protests and a fight for social justice as well. So I think inability for some, or like I think it's a criticism for the progressive movement as well, to transfer this imaginative um, uh, ideas for the to the current generations, for them to be able to look at the what have happened previously are also uh, continuations of the long struggle to bring uh, our country to the current street right now, right? So, and efforts to bring that or to bring back, to reimagine that process as a long process, I think that is very crucial. And I think the event uh, this weekend would be pivotal for that. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about um, the event that's happening this weekend. Yeah. Um, your documentary will be screening um, at Gerak Budaya and this Correct. event is called Process Sebuah Protest. What is this event about? Why are y'all doing it now? Yeah, this uh, event is actually organized uh, mainly by the Pusat Sejarah Rakyat. So um, it's actually um, to produce or like to present a report. It's called the Project Demo. This project is a oral documentations, uh, uh, oral documentations of history of organizers, activists, and protest participants throughout the last 15 years in Malaysia. So, they, this project is about capturing collective memory of a crucial and political awakening period during uh, a personal and also national history of Malaysia. Right. So, it this project comes. Uh, after this, uh, the premises of this project is based on two guiding questions, which is where are all the past protesters uh, gone, and also what are their what they think about when they think about their past experience in Malaysia, right? So the objective of it is to record history, uh, historical record, and of principal and also ordinary actors in Malaysia's protests, so that. Uh, it can be passed for the. Uh, it won't be forgotten or been just been uh, buried under the history, and also it uh, it acts as a form of gathering material and resources for the future activists and leaders, um, in form of they be able to look back what previous organizers participants have gone through, what are their reflections, what their strategy around it so that they be able to have that imaginations of actually this doesn't happen in vacuum there's something happened it leads to another and then the movement happens right so 
it would have uh, they will present uh, reports or like the findings of this project. They have interviewed more than 30 activists for these projects, including not only organizers, but ordinary people who have been attending protests throughout the last 15 years, right? Um, so, and also we have a documentary screening called uh, Prim, Primbuna Haram. That was uh, that what I documentary uh, that I what I that I did, and also Patani Bukan Pemalas that documents the journey of Patani uh, and people who've been working around food security issues in Malaysia. All right, Matt. Before we wrap this conversation up, would you have a final message for us? I think my final message would be come this event on this Saturday uh, so that we can learn and contribute to the democratic efforts. And maybe this can become an, another catalyst for another big or small protest in Malaysia. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. That was Mohamed Al-Chatri, human rights activist. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.